And, and if, if she's listening, I apologize. On court, I was doing some emceeing and I introduced um, Jasmine Hutton as, um, as Nicole Bunyan. So that was my, my biggest mistake. <laughs> just one? Just one? Didn't, well, no, I made a lot of them, but that was the one that everybody noticed. <laughs> uh, and then I forgot Jasmine's first name, so I called her Miss Hutton and I said she was from Canada. So there. All right. Man. Otherwise, a flawless performance by myself. Hey there, Squash fans, and thanks for coming back to an episode of The Breakdown with myself, Connor O'Malley, and my co-host, Bill Buckingham, and PJ Paul Johnson. And we are back. Bill needed a few months to properly rest his vocal cords, but we're ready to put him back to work. In this episode, we catch up on our summers. We also get PJ's reaction to the news of Queen Elizabeth of England passing away. Bill talks about his experience in Houston for another big PSA event. But this go around, it was the women's time to shine. We dive into what it means for Mohamed El Shabagadi to now have Greg Gautier in his corner. And we round out the episode talking about Qatar and some wild results that took place. And we talk about the impact of what the PSA weekly rankings update could have for players. Quick note, we had some strange recording glitches that popped up on this one, but I did my best to thread it all back together just for you guys. Quick thank you to our sponsor, ProSport LED, who actually has some very interesting developments going on. They are strengthening their partnerships within the racket sports world. They are partnering up with Padel Plus to bring Padel courts into the United States and the UK. And just like their LED lights, these are premium quality courts at great prices. What's also unique about Padel Plus is their canopy roof structure that has all of the great qualities of getting an outdoor playing experience, but you have the dependability. You can play your match regardless of rain or snow. So if you know of anyone interested in lights or Padel courts, please go ahead and put us in touch. Reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. What about this? This call is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown. It's episode number what, Bill? Are we even going to say it? I think it's 27. Yeah, um, we did 26 back in 2019, so this is number 27, so yeah. we're back. We're back. Not much has happened in the interim, so we haven't missed anything. Was that was that by public demand, Bill, or just... Well, if Connor would settle down and like live in one spot for more than a month. I was never out of recording capabilities. Uh, I, yeah. How many times have I did have a note here, PJ, you'd appreciate this. The, literally yeah. the top line says, want to point any fingers, Bill? So go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, I want to point. I want to point them at you. How many places have you lived, Connor, since the last uh, recording of this podcast? Uh, just two. Just so three I places. Mean, if you're so the original hotels, place. Yeah, counting yeah. hotels, and now you you are residing in Colorado. Is that correct? I wouldn't say residing. I, I'm I'm turning this into city shopping and stopping in different cities. And right now I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I was in Cincinnati. Wow, look like you lost some weight. I have. Yeah. Well, wow. look at that, PJ. He actually acknowledged it. For for, for a lot, I mean, for it, so long, I was already losing weight. And he's like, oh, man, you're putting it on. But yeah, now I have well, Hopefully this is a sign of things to come, Connor. Maybe I know. Maybe summer himself. So, yeah, Maybe nicer, the new, the new nicer, bill. nicer, kinder bill as I turn 60. PJ, you turned 50 this year. I turned 60 this year coming up. So maybe it's time wow. for me to reflect. And maybe me being like so, um, I don't know, mean to people isn't the way to go anymore. 
How about that? I hope I look as good as you at 60. I look yeah. pretty good, right? Look at my hair. Yeah, you do. No, you do. Looks Not really a, good. People, uh, people you don't look I, a I day to, over 59. I went to a, a party with my college roommates, stuff who I see like once a year at the same party, and they all accused me of coloring my hair. And, it, and right. do you want to say on the record? I 100% don't color my hair. Yeah. No. I 100% don't. I have some gray in my sideburns. If I grew a beard, it would be completely gray, and that's why I don't grow a beard because my vanity won't allow it. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, well, I'm, I'm, I have like ridiculous hair. And look, if you look closely, you see the blonde highlights. Yeah, no, the front? No, that's, that's I, I thought that the was sun. a balding patch. But it's not, it's actually, <laughs> hey, that's not that part. Not that it's part. Blonde. Not that. No, yeah. don't look at that part. No, I got little blonde highlights from the summer, from my boating summer. So how how was how was your guys' summer? So you know what? Again, new show. Enough about Bill. How was you guys' summer? Wow, PJ, I don't even know what to do anymore. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of an insight. Uh, actually, a, a most pleasant, lengthy summer this year. Uh, normally, I'm primarily based uh, in New York, as you know, and I get about two months off over the summer periods. That's when a lot of the players that I work with, a lot of the kids will go off and do their summer camps and stuff. But um, due to the schedule of uh, a couple of the players that I was working with, they had US squash commitments where they were going to compete in the British Junior Open, the World Team Championships and a couple of other events overseas. So that actually gave me a chance to get out of New York on around May 29th, I think it was. Uh, flew over, I went straight back to London, two days in London before flying off to do uh, some commentary at the Mauritius Open. First time I'd ever been to Mauritius. Oh, hold on. Let's was, stop uh, that. Let's stop there. Talk. To, I remember you yeah. were headed to Mauritius. Tell, tell me about Mauritius. Was it as everything you thought? Was it as cool as it looked on TV and on pictures? Uh, I have to say, I'll be brutally honest. The time of the year that we went was not ideal. We went, um, the tournament was kind of early, early June time, mm -hmm. uh, which was their sort of rainy season. Um, 14 hour flight. It's only a three hour time difference, which wasn't too bad, but it was a, a very bumpy flight. There was some inclement weather over, um, I think it was Mad Africa. Madagascar, probably. That's typically yeah, where it is, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So we had we had about a good guess, Bill. Thank you. Uh, we had about four four hours, uh, and on three occasions, the cabin crew were asked to take their seats, and and you know that oh. the flight's bad when that happens. So it wasn't the most relaxing of journeys down. The venue that we played at was very cool. It was a little bit of all sports really. They had, they had paddle tennis. They had regular tennis. They had indoor soccer. They had like climbing walls uh, for the kids, and then they had the kind of four squash courts there the team the team and the staff down there were absolutely superb made us extremely welcome the quality of the squash wasn't it didn't exactly set the world alight i think just because of the timing of it it was coming into just before the british open and, and a heavy schedule for the players so we got paul cole and diego elias down there for the men's and then tina guinness gillis was the number one seed for the ladies but um, great experience, really enjoyed being down there, but I don't think I'd make the trip back down again with that, that particular really? uh, did you get time. In, yeah. Did you get in the water I, at all? I did go in the water, yeah. You but, did? Because uh, no, I know you're afraid, I, you're afraid of the ocean, and I know, so did you get I'm in the I'm afraid ocean? of sharks. It's more uh -huh. sharks. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> which is very so, fair, and they live in the ocean. So, and it's yeah. Africa, and it's Africa, which is like known for sharks. Yeah, it's, it's in, in India, isn't it? Isn't it? Is it towards in, off the coast? Is it more more India? Mauritius, no? the, I know it's French owned, but I think it's off the coast of Africa, yeah. if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But that's anyway, good. So you, okay. you, you got anyway. in the water, play some golf? I did, did get in the water. I didn't play golf because at the time of the year, they'd literally just sanded all the greens. And there were uh -huh. some unbelievable golf courses, apparently, within the area. But uh, I just feel for me, if I'm in London or even here in the States, 
you don't need to fly 14 hours to find stunning beaches and great food and, and that kind of uh, an atmosphere, really. You can, you can travel a lot shorter distances. Um, so uh, just PSA, if you're listening out there, next time you have a tournament in Mauritius, no PJ. PJ, anti-Mauritius. <laughs> Sorry. Is this, this is how he does all his official communications these days. <laughs> That's it. So, so after Mauritius, then what? Back home to the, the UK? I got back to London for 24 hours and then actually uh, popped out to Ibiza for three days. Went to Ibiza ah. for a bit of a decompress because Ibiza is one of my favourite resorts. You've obviously got the clubbing side and the parties and the bars and that kind of stuff. But it's also, there's another side to the island, which is, it's absolutely stunning. You know, you've got some of the coolest coved beaches and restaurants and some of the best food in the world, actually. And some of the coolest backdrops and sunsets that you're ever going to find anywhere in the world. And that's just a two hour flight from the UK. So um, it was a perfect decompress after the week down in Mauritius and, and catch a, a little bit of proper sun over in, uh, in Ibiza. So that was that was pretty good. Um, and then I got I like, back from there. I like, hold on, PJ, just hold on. Just slow down a little bit. Slow down a bit. God. So basically, you decompress from one of the nicest places on earth by going to yeah. one of the other nicest places on earth. Just getting a, a sense of the life of PJ. So go ahead, continue. Sorry about Sorry I'm about just I'm backtrack glad, a little bit. Okay. I'm it, glad it, you were it, able it, to decompress a little bit at, it, in, it, in Ibiza. <laughs> Bill, I, sh- I shouldn't need to emphasize this point to you. It's not always where you are, it's about who you're with. And I've just been in Mauritius. For with Joey. eight days with Joey Barrington. So, fair enough. Yeah, yeah very true. Okay. Very true. Do you understand, Mike? So, therefore, I needed my uh, little bit of R and R post post Mauritius Open. Fair, so, fair enough. Fair enough. So that was great. I had a, had a lovely time, and um, and then headed back to the UK for what I have to say was the most one of the best weather summers that we've yeah. had in the UK for years. There was, I mean, towards the end, just before I left, there was a, there were water droughts and we had a few days that went over a hundred degrees. I actually went out and had to get a, an air conditioning unit for the house, which I've never done. Um, so the weather was absolutely stunning. The only downside to that was with it being so warm and dry that it dried out a lot of the golf courses. Yeah, I saw the British really, Open. St. Andrews was crunchy. It was really it crunchy. Was, so. It was baked up. A lot of the courses were baked up. But um, And what did you do for your 50th great birthday? I just had a small gathering. I had about 50 people. Um, <laughs> okay. 50 people? <laughs> 50 people, yeah. Well, who I, don't even know, I, I don't even know 50 people. I don't know what to say, Bill. Sorry. You're obviously not a popular guy. I don't know. You Did you arrange the gathering or somebody arranged it for you? I arranged it. Yeah, I, I sent out some invitations and, and called on a lot of close, uh, close friends and family, predominantly from in and around the London area. A few people traveled um, from overseas for it, which was nice. Um, did you get T-shirts nice, made nice up like PJ Fest? I love PJ t-shirts. Yeah, PJ, yeah. yeah I love PJ. He's, he's just turned 50 um, for the event. Yeah. Did you, was, did you really? Cool. You did no, not. I did not. Okay. No, I did not. No. PG only, P, PG only <laughs> no. wears plain white T-shirts. So that, what would yeah. you Correct. It was, well, listen, it was very understated. It was very chilled. A uh, very good friend of mine that I've known for, we worked it out, it was about 30 odd, over 30 odd years. He DJ'd. He's been a, a DJ for most of his life. So barbecue started around two o'clock. Um, really cool venue. My sister's place is, it's got a swimming pool and it's got suitable surroundings to, to accommodate that kind of a crowd. Um, so we had a barbecue starting around 2.30 and the last time I remember looking at my watch was around 1.30 a.m. Well, I don't really pretty, remember too much. Pretty, so pretty, was, pretty good. Pretty good. It was a fantastic... Nice. Uh, and it was a perfect balance of a lot of 
kind of old squash friends that I'd grown up with and members from the old squash clubs that I'd been members of over the years come along and turned up and um, a lot of my current family and uh, current friends also came along for the ride so it was uh, fun Uh, I think fun was had by all yeah it was good your invitation probably never caught up with you Connor with all your moving about well that was the problem I they they went Bill I didn't send you one but Connor I sent it to your to your previous address and obviously uh, you must have moved on since then (laughs) you were you were sorely missed I would have gone, but of course I was in the same boat as you. I was, you know, I went to Hawaii for two weeks and then I had to come back and decompress and go over to Martha's Vineyard and decompress <laughs> there. And, you know, just a, su- you. just a summer of decompressing, if you will. That's, so, that's cool. um, there under- you go. understood. There you go. So, so, so any highlight of your summer, PJ, I mean, break one, one thing, what, what was the biggest highlight of your summer? Uh, it has to be my birthday. Yeah. It has to be my birthday on the, it was just, um, it was the, per- it was just a perfect gathering of, of everybody that I wanted there. Nice. Did Joey go? Joey Barrington go? Joey, unfortunately, couldn't go because his wife had already booked a holiday somewhere else at the same time, which Joey was a little bit disappointed about. But he, Joey has promised to buy a, a dinner and a couple of drinks next time I see him, which will be down at the US Open in Philadelphia in about three weeks' time. Oh, so. perfect. I'll be sure to cash in on that one because it's not often you get Joey <laughs> treating you to dinner. No, no. I mean, the dusty euros he's going to, I mean, yeah. I wonder if what he did with all those euros now that he lives in England and they don't do euros anymore, do they? Ever? They do do euros. They do oh, do they do? Euros. Okay. Yeah, I thought they yeah. did the pound. Okay. Yeah, we have English pounds, obviously, but he, yeah, he's, his currency is mainly dollars. He's more of a dollars man. Okay. All right. Connor, anything good on your end besides your moving all over, hopscotching the country? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been that many moves, but... Um, uh, you've moved. Th- you've moved more in, in a six, three months than I've moved in my whole life. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, it's my nomadic behavior is not totally by design, but it it certainly happens. So yeah, no, it was fun to spend the the summer in Cincinnati. It's a cool spot. Uh, it's definitely changed a lot since. It is. It's changed a lot since I was there uh, twenty years ago. So um, saw an FC uh, Cincinnati uh, game. That was a lot of fun. But yeah, just uh, you know, focusing uh, a lot on the health journey, Bill. And, no, uh, I know. I, I know. I, I'm showing restraint by not making fun of you after PJ went to like yeah. Mauritius and Ibiza, and your highlight is Cincinnati in a major league soccer game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I should have started with the, quite the contrast, but you know what? That's actually usually what happens uh, between all of us. So it's the contrast. Yeah, yeah. that is true. You look good. I gotta say, you look closest right yeah, now. Yeah, you do. Look, you're very fresh faced and very uh, young. Uh, you look like the Connor from Bachelor of Chicago days. Like, you know what? I'm. It's uh, it's very true. Yeah, back back close. Same hair, same haircut, and all that stuff. Yeah, look good. I appreciate okay, it, Bill. A, that's well, that's well big from, you know, I actually thought, I was wondering, I was like, is Bill just going to have like a certain image in his mind of what I look like? Then they'll never change. So who knows? Big, what, big fat Connor? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But either way. Yeah. All right. So since you asked, my summer was nice also. Thank you for asking. Um, didn't didn't well, travel. All- next Next topic. Yep, fair enough. Fair enough. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go on. So the so PJ so PJ the so PJ the queen the queen's dead. <laughs> Come on, Bill. Tell us about your summer. You know what? I have a very old boat, and I spent a lot of summer on the boat. And that's what my wife and I did for most of the summer. Was work ended, we'd go to the boat. So I probably I I am in a marina, and typically most people who have a boat in a marina use it like ten to twelve times a summer. Um, my wife and I figured it out. We forty one times we used our boat this wow. summer. Wow. Like wow. taking it out or like going down? And then how many just marina trips only like in chill on the boat? We didn't do any marina trips okay. chill on the boat this year. We went down and went on the boat 41 times. That's a lot. Pretty crazy. 
So otherwise, didn't didn't do 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 much besides that. Drank, smoked a record amount of cigars. Um, probably smoked fifty cigars this summer, which is a, a record, and played a bunch of golf. So all good. Nothing. Nothing. How was the uh, golf game? How, how was go- your golf? Uh, oh, uh, some some days Jack Nicholas, some days Saint Nicholas. It just depended. <laughs> oh, you know. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I had I mean, that. So, go ahead, Connor. No, I mean like I shot like a. 100 or 105 and then recently i mean granted the courses were very different but i shot an 86 here in boulder and it was, oh, i mean it's very cool. generous you can go find pretty much every ball so um yeah yeah yeah, yeah so you still uh, got to get the job done connor you still got that's to put it. the ball in the hole at the end yeah of the day, so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so so let's get on to a couple of our topics um I, I we're kind of looking for your um your thoughts on this pj the queen dying and how did yeah. all, all kidding aside i know we joke around a lot like how did that affect you or did it or, or do you like shrug your shoulders like what from someone who actually was and were you still in england when she died that's an interesting point um i was uh, obviously saddened by the news i wasn't shocked because i actually know somebody that is um, that works as security for the royal family i didn't know that she was uh, I didn't know that she was going to pass away on that day, but I knew that she wasn't very well. And when just before I boarded the flight at Heathrow to heading over to New York, it was all on the news that the family had been asked to or all been moved up to Balmoral to be by the Queen's side, which obviously wasn't a good sign. And mm-hmm. then about 45 to 50 minutes into the flight, the captain announced it over the loudspeaker. That Really? Um, yeah. Wow. Yes. And what was the reaction? Just like a deathly silence throughout the entire plane. It's kind of weird. It's a little bit eerie, actually. Mm-hmm. It's kind of strange. Well, I'm wondering um, if people are like plugged into their phones and don't hear it, like plugged into their music and stuff like that and don't yeah, hear the announcements. Maybe, but it, the word soon spread, obviously, what had happened. There'd been a few mm. murmurings. A few of the cabin crew were talking about it before, but somebody, one of the cabin crew must have known somebody that was close by what was going on because initially that they had heard that the Queen passed and then they had heard again, because I'm listening to what they're saying, that she was still alive. And then, so there's all this kind of hubbub going on before we took off and then obviously the captain's announced over the phone you know very professional very uh, as you'd expect you know some of these air- airline pilots are pretty articulate and he delivered the message perfectly really what um, airline were you flying virgin atlantic i flew with yeah, yeah I, I always fly virgin transatlantic for me they're the best but um so yeah i was obviously saddened by it. i was one of the people fortunate enough to meet i mean i was I met the Queen back in 1996. I may have told you the story already when the English team that I was working with at the time were crowned world junior champions out in Egypt. And as a, as a reward, every year the Buckingham Palace invited all world champions, all British world champions yeah. along to Buckingham Palace. And... <laughs> Well, the story was like something along the lines like, so does everyone have a, a squash court? That's right. It, yeah, it was uh, uh, one of the queens. Uh, it wasn't the queen herself, but it no, was somebody no. else that went along to one of the one of the mothers of one of the players because it was yourself plus one. Right. And she said, oh, you, oh, you play squash. Oh, do you have a squash court in your back garden then? Yeah. It's yeah, sort yeah, of a, exactly. bit, <laughs> a little bit different. Um, so obviously I, I met her there and that was a pretty an amazing experience just to be around that. And I also met... Um, prior husband, Philip. He was the president of the SRA, Squash Rackets Association, from 1965. And he apparently there's a squash court in Buckingham Palace where he used to play. So um, I met him at the Commonwealth Games in 1998, uh, which was another pretty bizarre thing. So well, 
I'm a big fan of uh, the monarchy personally. I, I think that the way that she represented the country was just in such a dignified and elegant and graceful manner. And I, I just thought she was a real class act. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the reaction was uh, obviously over here, and, and it made me think a little bit about, obviously, if, like, the current president got assassinated, things would shut down here, and they'd yeah. have, like, days of mourning, and, like, football would get canceled and things like that. But is there anybody sure. in the United States, do you think, who would die, like, of old age, like, I mean, she was in her 90s still. I mean, 19, so it's not, 1996, so it's not, I think she was. So not like a shocking death that we would shut down the, the, the basically the country for, like when it comes to sports being canceled. Like who would have to die for that to happen in the United States? Anyone? No one, right? I don't think so. I don't think you could think, I don't think anybody would have that that impact or not yeah. impact, but that, that magnitude. Yeah. I mean, a sitting yeah. president, but that would. Right. If he died, like got shot or something like that, yeah. for sure, or like yeah. died of a heart attack, but like, but somebody who was like 90 something years old, who you kind of kn knew for years was going to die yeah. and like to shut down the whole country and cancel yeah. EPL, a lot of money at stake and things such as that. So just was curious about that. But the, so I was also interested because just, just quickly, they reckon yeah. <clears throat> she's laid in state now, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the cues for people to come in, and pass the coffin are four miles long. Did you see wow. it over the bridges and stuff? It's no. crazy. No. Wow. No. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, I'm a little bit out of the loop because it's not being covered as much here, obviously, as it is right. uh, over in the UK. It's on every channel, bowl accounts, and as you'd expect. So this is this is the part that I didn't really appreciate not living in the UK is the anti-queen sentiment. Like over here, everybody's like, yeah, we love the queen. I mean, obviously, yeah. we don't care about it or we know about it because we watch The Crown or we were monarchiophiles or whatever they call people yeah. who are really yeah. into it. But I didn't realize like, so the, the anti, the Irish specifically, Connor, looking at you, um, the anti, um, <laughs> anti-queen rhetoric. There's a lot of, I mean, even within the country. Uh, no, I know. A lot of history, a lot of history there. Um, but this is my favorite quote. Um, this is obviously was, this was written, I guess, in the Irish Times. And I guess it was written last year and was recycled during this. So I'm just going to read it for you. It's like just a couple sentence long, so bear with me. This is an Irish Times writing saying, having a monarchy next door is a little like having a neighbor who's really into clowns and has decorated their house with clown murals, displays clown dolls in each window, and has an insatiable desire to hear about and discuss clown-related news stories. More specifically, for us Irish, it's like having a neighbor who's really into clowns and also your grandfather was murdered by that clown. <laughs> 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 harsh yeah that's a harsh. little harsh yeah that's a little harsh yeah, yeah. Harsh. that and at, at, at a irish soccer game that the, the night she died they literally if you go on google and twitter and listen to it they all chant the whole thing is lizzie's in a box jesus <laughs> brutal yeah same thing happened at uh, a liverpool soccer match recently similar kind of messages were being thrown out Whew, and about rough. yeah okay. I, I don't understand it I don't yeah. understand. I, I mean, it's, I think it's like all, all like Northern Ireland related, right? Like, I, we can't, I can't understand it, but <laughs> the clown thing was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was saying Connor being very Irish does not like this topic. So we're going to move oh, on. I'm, I'm indifferent, but yeah. Okay. All right. How can we grow the sport of squash? Have you ever thought about that? I've really enjoyed all the different ways I've learned about how to help it grow. But the truth is, there is no silver bullet to achieve great success. In fact, it's really about many pieces of the puzzle coming together to help get this done. However, one of the biggest untapped potentials that I've been excited about for over 10 years is the concept of building outdoor squash courts. 
But not just squash courts, think outdoor squash clubs. Either way, it's a great way to get more visibility for the sport and experience a different way to enjoy and share the sport we love. If you think there's an opportunity to get some courts in your area, reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. And I can share the latest of what's going on in the sport and let's help open up the sport. All right, so let's talk some squash. So I just got back from Houston. I was down at the um, Southwestern Women's Squash Open for the week. Um, second tournament of the year. The first tournament was out in Egypt, which was a bronze tournament, the Z tournament. But this was the first tournament that had pretty much a, a, a top 10 field. I think they had seven of the top 10 players in the world there. Really strong event. And again, Connor was down in Houston last year, just a very unique squash community down there with the international flavor. Very few, you know, waspy white Americans watching squash. It was all Pakistani, Egyptian, and Indians and others watching and appreciating the squash. And once again, Noran Gohar just <laughs> put on a show. I mean, she had some tough matches. I mean, she played, she played what's her name, uh, Rowan El Rabi was a ridiculous match. Rowan L. Robbie wants to beat her so badly. You could like, it's coming up like her eyes are bleeding basically, but she took everything Rowan could throw at her and, and still beat her. And Rowan was at the top of her game. And then by the time she met Tyab in the final, Tyab was a little bit tired, but Tyab still pushed her in the first game. But all, overall, the quality of squash was, was really, really high. And just that, that Houston community is just so into it. It was such a fun event and um, just had a great time down there. And, and if, if she's listening, I apologize. On court, I was doing some emceeing, and I introduced um, Jasmine Hutton as um, as Nicole Bunyan. So that was my my biggest mistake. <laughs> Just one? Just one? Just, well, no, I made a lot of them, but that was the one that everybody noticed. <laughs> uh, and then I forgot Jasmine's first name, so I called her Miss Hutton, and I said she was from Canada. So there. All right. <laughs> Man. Otherwise, a flawless Not performance bad. by myself. But the, hi- the highlight of Houston, other than the squashes, Connor, last year, you and I went to basically the restaurant next door to the hotel every night last year because it was convenient. We didn't know where else to go. I got to see some bit of Houston food this year, like a good experience of Houston food scene, including the last night I went to a restaurant called Himalaya with a local guy from the club and then with Tamar, the referee, and the physio from the PSA and just had one Derek of the Ron? best. Uh, no, um, no, it's, a, it's an Irish girl. And I apologize. I hope she just doesn't listen to this because I'm going to forget her name. Let's call her Jasmine Hunt. I call everybody else Jasmine Hunt. So, um, <laughs> Derek so, doesn't uh, come to the U.S. No, Derek doesn't come to the U.S. But yeah, had one of the most outstanding meals I've ever had at a restaurant. Just a hole in the wall. So I, next time you go back, how many nights? It's will I go nights. there? Yeah. Well, if it's it's it was a pretty good hike from the club. So one of the club members, JC, was happy, was nice enough to come pick us up. So it was do a they good do delivery. No, it wouldn't be the same. You have to go there. It's a hole in the wall. The owner's crazy. Uh, it's Pakistani and um, Indian food. And it's just, oh, it was, it was. Sounds amazing. Oh, uh, it was just. That's my it, favorite cuisine. I oh, love Indian uh, and Pakistani. Jo- Joey Barrington would eat there every night. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it is one of those places you would just eat so there it's every cheap. night. So very, it's cheap. Very cheap. Very cheap. Very good okay. food. And you eat. Uh, the only part is that he would hate is they serve it. Uh, they suggest you eat it family style. So you share everything. Oh. Well, yeah. he'll just get one to himself. I was going to say, what he just say? Like, yeah. I can, I can eat it all. I can eat it all. I can eat a family pack on my own. Right. And, and so, Connor, post post COVID, for the first time post COVID, I I I went and asked somebody at another table for a bite of their food that I didn't know. So I'm back. That was the first time. Oh, first gosh. time since COVID. Yeah. Well, you should see. Be... You should have seen the people's reaction at my table. <laughs> they were stunned. Joey, this like, is a Joey part two, huh? No, this well, this is a little beyond that because those people weren't sitting at my table. I yeah. actually, I we were just about done. We were so full. 
and like we had eaten so much food and then this plate comes out to this people at the table down from us and it's got it's like a lamb shank and it just looks so good and i was like so what is that and he says it's a lamb shank and then of course i went into my mode of quizzing him about it like goading him into offering me some which he then did and i got up and got some very nice (laughs) disgusting behavior what would you say uh with the women's event like what would you say was the major difference between the men's and the women's and in terms of like how is it received and interactions? With uh, the I think I'd say the, the number one, um, and, and again, sitting amongst the crowd, which, which I do cause I, Bill Buckingham, you're one of the people pe- you're, you know, I'm one, one of the people, you know, I, I mean, sure. Sure. Was I the most important there as the MC? Was I, I mean, some said, I didn't say, but some would say <laughs> most photographed um, probably. Uh, so, so, so the guy who picked me up at the airport picked me, uh, myself and Noah on Gohar up at the same time. Cause we our flights land at the same time. So I texted him. I said, said a lot of pressure picking up the most important person in the tournament and Noron. Uh, <laughs> he didn't get it. He didn't get it either. I don't think so. No, no, <laughs> but yes, I think, I think the biggest uh, difference was the people appreciated the women because no arguing, mm. not a million stoppages. It was just like a lot of free flowing squash. There was one match that was a little argy pargy, but for the most part, it was just squash and people played squash. And that's what I got most comments on. Like, they're like, none of this arguing don't have people screaming at the refs. Don't have Ibrahim yelling this person don't have, um, just people complaining to the referees and stopping and playing just the stop start nonsense. So I think people really, really appreciated that. So I think that was the biggest difference. Otherwise, I mean, that's that, that squash community down there is just incredible. They're all into it. And a skill level tournament was being played at the same time. And it was just the great squash atmosphere that uh, if they could replicate that everywhere, it would be awesome. So. All right. Onward. Next. <laughs> oh, by the way, Norel Tayeb back norel yeah, tabs back it's great to have her back. man man was she tough out I, there. I actually i actually think right now there's there's so much to talk about in the women's game yeah um you look at goha she's obviously she's got back to winning ways down in houston she's had a chance to do a little bit of work through the summer with rod back back here in new york so you've got her setting the tone you've then got Tayeb is now back in the fray uh, yeah. after two years or three years of being out of the game and yep. she's already proven her worth she's reaching finals already and she'll be taking down some more scalps that that for me is a you know just amazing achievement in itself and then let's not forget Hamami who's a massive rival of Gohar's has now switched coaches to Abdelaziz, who formerly used to coach Goha, there was right. a lot of uh, a lot of issues going on and back and forth, quite publicly about that whole situation. And so Hamami now has moved across to Aziz. I'm very interested to see how that relationship works out and what can Aziz bring to the table for Hamami, who's already very you'd have to say pretty established. If he can make some adjustments there, that's going to make her even more um, even more dangerous. The biggest story for me is Shabini. Shabini now going off and doing a bit of work with Gregory Gaultier. Yeah, and, she got, and, and she's getting married too. So I'm, I'm, it's interesting that she's getting married, but then recomm- recommitting herself, I guess, to the game, which is kind of ridiculous considering she's like the, considered the best player ever in the game uh, on the women's yeah. side. Um, but yeah. picking up a new coach, you would, I thought she would like kind of like fade into the into the sunset, get married, have children, that type of thing. But it doesn't seem to be. It seems like she's more like, F you guys, I'm I'm Noriel Sabini, and you're about to find out why. Well, that's a scary... I mean, if you look at the success that Greg's already had with Mohammed so far, it's early. It's still quite early to say, but the squash that I saw Mohammed play in Qatar just last week was certainly an improvement on his prior two years. So if he can have some sort of impact on Shabini's game, 
I'm interested to see how and what he's going to do to improve what's already a pretty polished product. Um, I mean, it's just frightening the levels that these girls have already taken the game to in the last five years. Where that can push on to now, it's, that for me is very exciting times in the in the women's game. Yeah, very maybe exciting. I'll, maybe I'll teach her how to fake injury. Jeez, huh. <laughs> PJ. On uh, on Gaultier kind of coaching these players, like making the transition yeah. from top pro into coach, a lot of people might ask, like, what is he actually doing for these players? Like, you know, he doesn't actually have much experience there. So clearly with Muhammad, like that's already a huge uh, early track record. But I mean, what would you say Gaultier's ever would bring to the table that would help these players? I think the number one thing that Greg will bring to every single one of these players is a level of professionalism that they would never have experienced before in their lives. And it will just completely change their mindset and approach to the game, to training, to lifestyle. And Greg was one of the few players who did a very good job of eking out every ounce of talent and ability and maximising his potential in every facet and every department that he worked on. He always did it to the best of his ability. And I think he will translate that across to his players. And I'm not sure how much, with somebody like Mohammed, for example, obviously they, I find it so intriguing because they were huge rivals when they played. So Gregory will already have an insight into the weaknesses and the areas of, or the flaws in Mohammed's game mm -hmm. that he can look to improve and adapt. And also what he experienced as an opponent were the strength areas. So he'll look to maintain those levels of those strength levels, but then kind of fill in the gaps and the cracks in the, in the weaknesses. And that's, he's, Gregory's like, you, you, he's your consummate profession, isn't he? He's, he eats, leaves and breathes, breathes the game. So I think if he can bring some of that knowledge and uh, like I say, what he's done with Mohammed in a short period of time is, is very impressive. He's had an impact on Elias as well when they've done some training together. I know that Diego was completely astonished by the amount of dedication, the amount of training that Greg actually did. And that's the tail end of Greg's career that Diego's come in and experienced. Mm. So um, I think he can bring a lot, but for me, it'll be the number one key would be the, be the professionalism, I'd say. So before we go crowning uh, Greg Gaultier, the next Vince Lombardi, um, just let's just, and again, I hate Gregory Gaultier, so let's just put that out there. So, I mean, not as a person, just as a squash player. Um, so, I mean, Mohamed Al-Shabagi was helped. I mean, he beat In Yao Nig in the first, in this first round. Then he beat Solomon, and then he got to face Rodriguez because Ali Farag lost. So basically, he beat us. He beat us all, and then he beat Victor Kroon in the final. So let's let's go. Let's just slow down a little bit on the Greg Gaultier as the greatest coach in America. In my in my opinion, in my That's opinion, fair enough. In my opinion, you you have to ignore that. You 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 can't deny the fact, regardless of how Farag played, Rodriguez mm -hmm. is still taking him down. Okay, um, for him to do it wasn't just about the win. For Mohammed, it was the way that he won. It was the level of control, the ball control, the tactical nous, uh, the court craft. He's he's diverted away from just using his raw power and his strength to overpower his opponents. He actually outplayed his opponents, and he just seemed to be looking at the game a lot more tactically astute. Whereas before, his answer would be just to blast the opponent off a court and. To a level, he can get away with it. But when you're coming up against the likes of a Sal who's going to absorb, Paul Cole that's going to just 
welcome on that kind of pressure. Mohammed needed more to his, and it, it's always been Mohammed's Achilles heel. The fact that he doesn't use enough height and he didn't use enough lobs and slow the pace of the game down and then inject pace when required. It was just all an onslaught. That is something that was very, very different and apparent last week in Qatar. That's, I've not seen him play that way for a, a very long time. Okay, you, That's a very well thought out opinion and um, more so than my hot take. Um, so uh, yeah. uh, we'll see, And we'll see. TBD, right? I mean, we'll see. Is this, uh, are you saying that Mohammed uh, will take, you know, you think he can take the number one spot? That is a different question because I think you've still got the likes of a Sal, Cole, Farag. Whether he's got enough in the tank to win two matches against those top three back-to-back in a row, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I don't, I'm not sure he'll get to number one. But the, the difference is now, Connor, he's got a chance. Yeah. 18 months ago, he never had a prayer the way that he was playing and it, it he'd seemed to have lost his love for the sport he'd lost interest he looked tired he looked like he'd run out of ideas he went to see Rodney Martin for a little bit that didn't quite work out he's down with Adrian Stiff in Bristol that had maybe run its course so he now seems to have a, f- a fresh perspective and he looks rejuvenated and he looks he looks hungry will there be any benefit with him switching to England like tapping into the, um, the English squash system is that going to have any impact or do you think he'll get a lot of support there as far as um, he'll get a little bit of funding he'll get a little bit of help with the physios and the kind of the infrastructure that's in place over there much more so than he, he would have got in Egypt and he'll get the backing of the players and the association there will get behind him I mean but you're still gonna you would give more credit towards a shift like working with Gautier to be the bigger change than 100% okay. 100% it, hands down Gautier's influence is the the biggest reason for Mohammed's newfound improvement, not just so, because he's he's been he's been in England for so long and he's been in that system somewhat for a while. So, so my question to PJ was: Are there any seeing that he got over there and now he's part of England squash? Him like going to a French coach as opposed to taking up uh, England squash and all the coaches they have there and the national team coaches and things such as that not not really using that and like so publicly using a coach from another country after making such a big public to do about moving to England. Is there any issue like in the background? Is England squash like cringing like or no, no big deal? I don't think there's I don't think there's any issues with that at all, Bill, because if you look at a lot of the players that are part of the England setup, they all have their own individual coaches per se. Mm-hmm. What will be interesting to see is how much commitment Mohammed will have to playing for England in European Team Championships, World Team Championships. Um, he'll have to obviously play in the National Championships. Um, but it's from, a, from a team standpoint, I, I'm intrigued to see how much they can actually get out of Mohamed. He's obviously got a tremendous amount of experience and a wealth of knowledge to offer. And just having him around will be impactful on the juniors and the team members that are in the squad right now. I just hope that they, they can manage to get a, a situation where they, they can draw the best out and, and utilize him as much as they possibly can. Do you ever see it? Do you see a point down the road where he's like the national team coach in England? Is, like, is, it, is it that kind of commitment from him? I like- don't think he would become national team coach. I think there may be an involvement similar to what we see with Nick Matthew. Okay. He's made... Bristol is based now for so many years. He came over at the age of, I think, 15, and he obviously loves being in the UK. So there's an affiliation and an allegiance there. 
but it will be interesting to see how long he spends in the game post-playing. It's all he's done and it's all he's known, so I do see him sticking around for some time. In what capacity he decides to go down, I don't know. Could do, it be do you, a similar to a Gaultier route? I'm not sure. Maybe. Do you, do you see him um, coming to the U.S. and coaching juniors and things like that? Absolutely not. No. Okay. No, just curious. No, no just curious. He, no he may pop out for a week. He may do some squads and that kind of stuff. But if the money's right, I think he'll he'll pop over. But I don't think he would ever consider the U.S. as a base. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I just think curious. he's very settled. He's very settled back in the U.K. Okay. All right. An interesting one. All right, so we've got the season coming up. Uh, we just had, obviously, Qatar was... So, last question on what's happened in the past to UPJ being an ex-player. What are your thoughts on starting the season with a, such a big event, with a platinum event like that? Uh, extremely tough on the players. If you look at... It doesn't seem that long ago that the season finished. When was the British Open? I can't even think now. British Open, then you, got the, then you got the World Tour Finals. And then for Paul Cole, Joel Makin, Adrian Waller... Uh, Declan James, James Wilstrop, they've all had to play the Commonwealth Games in between, which was a major commitment for them. Mm. I think the beginning of this, it's going to be a very, very tough season up until Christmas, at least, I think, for Paul Cole to come out with, a, a, you know, because he's done so well in those tournaments. He's had such a, a great run through this year and he's reaching the late stages of all of these major events. But he's, he is only human and, and he can only take so much. We've seen a couple of results by his standards, which are subpar, which I feel are just the result of exhaustion, mental and physical exhaustion. And to start off with a tournament like Qatar, it's, it's, it's a tall order. You do get some strange results in Qatar. Elias won it, not strange results, but some unexpected results, shall we say. Elias won it last year, taking down Paul Cole in the final of that event. So it's a tournament that, I would say it certainly favours the players that have had a slightly less hectic summer period to come in with a tournament so significant early on. Um, it's a great opportunity for those that haven't been so busy throughout the summer period. And off that tournament, obviously the biggest surprises on the men's side anyways were, um, obviously because it's an all-men's tournament, so there you go, is uh, Tamimi and, uh, and Kruin. Right, made yeah, made, made the biggest splashes. Like, are, are you, do you think that's a fluke because of what the, what you just said, or do you think those two guys are two people, two players to look at for the season uh, going forward? Tamimi has been threatening for a few years. He's I watched him as a junior when he came over and he played the U.S. Open. I saw him play at the British Open when he was fourteen, fifteen. So you saw the potential in him. He had some good guidance with Jeff Hunt when Jeff Hunt was national coach of Qatar for for a long period. But the biggest jump that we've seen is over the last three years, really, when Rod Martin's taken over and put some discipline and some, some good work into him. Uh, Tamimi played very well in the Worlds. I think he had a good run through back in 2019. Was it 2019 or 2020? I can't remember now, but he had a very good run through there. So he's, he gets a lot of support, obviously, in Qatar. So he's had some good results in Qatar. The big test for him will be... Can he now start to replicate those performances when he travels? And if he starts to do that, then I think we'll start seeing him in some of the later rounds as well. So short answer, no, it wasn't a fluke. I think this was something that was, this has been brimming for a little for a little while. Um, and, and Victor Kroon, is he proving that you need to go to college to succeed on the, uh, on, the, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the PSA tour? Well, if you listen to him speak after his matches, I mean, he's so well-educated and articulate and he, yeah. the way he conducts himself is, I mean, he's a class act. I've been very impressed with, with him in his you know, very short time on the, on the world tour to 
to be mixing it already with the, the top 10 players in the world. And not only that, just the way he conducts himself is it's a real breath of fresh air. I really like him and I think he's got an extremely bright future ahead of him, potentially. If he continues to do what he's doing, he's obviously got some good people around him advising him and I'm seeing a lot of very good stuff very early on from him. And I think he, he could be top five. No. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for the future. It makes such a big difference um, when you can make this your full-time focus versus having to balance uh, college and compete on the world tour. So yeah. if Ibrahim uh, can stay healthy, I mean, he's already going to be cracking, but seeing Victor kind of early on um, demonstrating his ability to get to a, a platinum finals is off the charts. I, I, I love watching Ibrahim play, Connor. I think he's, again, extremely exciting. I, I'm a fan of lefties, obviously. I would just like to see a little bit more consistency with him because when he, when he's on, he's he's fantastic. But and that's what you get with Cruon. You get just get that sense that it's a little bit like Joel Makin. Even when they're not having their best squash playing days, they don't have a bad movement day, and they're always going to be hard to beat because mentally they're very strong. They're very they're very tough. So even their best or even their slightly subpar, I feel, is still going to be good enough to get them through certain matches. And then when they do, when things do slot into place, then they're going to be a handful. Whereas that Ibrahim, he's got those flashes of brilliance, but he's got that flip side, which can be a little bit less predictable. Yeah, interesting the difference between the men's uh, tournament and the women's tournament. Uh, in the women's tournament, the the normal seeds came, everybody came through right for the most for yeah. the most part. There were no real surprises. Where at the men's uh, on the men's side, it was definitely topsy turvy. So I don't know if that says something about the women's tour not being deep enough or just a fluke. I'm not sure what that says. You could say that, that, that there's an argument for that, Bill. But I just also also think that we're in such a fortunate period of the game right now where you've got a bunch you've got five players that come to mind you've got Shabini, Goha, um, Tayeb, Hamami I don't want to discount your likes of Joel King but then behind that for me they're your top five that in my opinion are just that little bit better in actual fact quite a bit better than everybody else so yeah. We're just so lucky yeah. to be experiencing that right now. I think there's significant depth in the in the women's game, but like what PJ just said, it's like the the top tier is pretty entrenched. Yeah, yeah, it's strong. Yeah, yeah. You, it's listen, strong. I'm not to, not to disrespect the chasing pack. You've got the likes of uh, you know your Sobies, your Kings. You've got Gina Kennedy who's coming up hot on the tails. I'm, I'm interested to see how she fares against those top four or five players. You can't doubt her movement, her speed, and her athleticism. But does she have the squash now to unravel those top four or five at the moment i i don't think so but i think that's something that she'll be working hard on to improve i am definitely because i i think she's an amazing asset to the tour she's one of those players again that is she she will eke out every ounce of her, her talent and push as hard as she possibly can to get to where she deserves to be and i would love nothing more to, than to see her succeed at that because I, she one of those players you feel most deserves it because of her work ethic but i just think it's going to be very hard against those top five yeah i mean and and i don't want to keep throwing ella robbie out there but I, honestly she's the one i think ella robbie's the next big thing to be honest with you she she has an edge to her she obviously yeah. she's extremely talented and her attacking to that front left wall is sublime and, but yeah. she has an edge. I mean, she is yeah. tough. And uh, she just probably needs to put on a little more strength, be a little more physical. And I think she she could be any of those top, any of the other top women out there. 
Um, Buckingham last, prediction. Buckingham prediction. Um, last thing on on Qatar is George Parker, the English player, snapped another racket over his legs, uh, over his leg. Always being shown on YouTube and on highlights of throwing fits, throwing his racket, yelling, screaming. At some point, does the PSA tour need to do something about George Parker? Or a lot of people on the squash websites on the boards were saying, oh, what, that's what squash needs. He's like Karyos. The difference being is Karyos is good. I mean, so Karyos could get away with it a little bit because Karyos is contending for titles. George Parker loses in the second round of every tournament he's in, and he makes an idiot out of himself. So at <laughs> what point does the PSA tour say, hey, enough George Parker? I think they're getting pretty close to that stage, Bill. I agree. And it's such a shame because I, I feel that George Parker could be so much better if he managed. And it, this, again, just emphasises for me how important the mental side of the sport is, especially at that top level. If George Parker could just control his temper, I mean, he's an unbelievable athlete. He's strong. He can play the game and he puts, puts it together well puts it together well for periods and patches during his, match, during his matches. But when things start to deteriorate, it just completely explodes. And that's that's a, that's an issue that he's had since he's been a kid. I don't know what the answer and the solution is for him to rectify and sort that problem out. Robert Owens tried, David Campion's tried. A lot of people previously have done their best to, to help him out. And when you speak to him on a one-on-one -on -one basis, he's a nice kid. Yeah. But his behaviour does let him down. He would be the first to admit that. And I don't know how he can control it I do feel that PSA are now getting to a point where they just can't put up with that any longer. And it's it's almost, there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back and eventually they're going to have to... The penalties that he's receiving obviously are not harsh enough to make him realise. Right, right. So, that's, what it, that's what it seems. You know, so The fear would be, at some point, could, it potentially, could he potentially have such a, a situation where he, he actually hurt somebody? Yeah. Because he does seem, he seems to actually lose control. It doesn't seem like, like almost yeah. like Kario sometimes is doing it for, kind of throws opponent off a little bit. McEnroe was the best at that back he in was. the day. Kyr he Kyrgios, was. Kyrgios. The difference is, though, you've obviously got that distance across the net, and that was purely mind games, whereas George can get physical. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it only takes a, a bit of an extra push and a nudge. He, he gave a little bit of shoulder to Tamimi in, the, in that front left-hand corner on match ball, which yeah. it only takes one of those to slightly go wrong. And it, it, could, it could potentially be um, a, lot, a lot more serious. So talking about uh, just going forward, the schedule, let's look, look forward to the season right now. This is a, kind of our preview in this. Connor, you want to jump in something else? Well, the only thing I was going to say that I'm excited about for this season is is how the weekly rankings, um, are, because it, it, the rankings going to be calculated every week now. So I think that's going to be very interesting for mixing up the draws, really um, showing players <laughs> that have... It's going to be a lot more interesting for endorsements and sponsorships, I'll tell you that much. Because your players we, can get in their, into their contracts, top 10, top 5, top 1 or whatever it is. There's, there could be some changes going on there as well. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Never thought of that. Um, <laughs> I wonder if the PSA thought about that before they made this change. So is this a, a good thing or a bad thing uh, on the player's side? Not from our, our point of view. I think it's a great thing. But from the player's point of view, what do they think, PJ, as far as you know? I've not had any contact with any players to kind of figure out. I think that like any change, there's going to be a bit of uncertainty and a bit of doubt. I'm not a massive fan of too much fluctuation in the rankings, especially with the amount of events that they get to play. I just think that there was there, something had to change, right? And um, wow. where there's too much delay between great performances to then that reflecting kind of where they are in the rankings. So I'm hoping that that will help even it out. And I'm sure there's downsides that we don't know yet, but 
I, I also know that there are more events coming onto the circuit over the next kind of 18 months, so that could then have an impact. I think with the schedule the way that it has been, especially post-COVID, there, there haven't been enough events to keep a current accurate reflection on form and rankings. Next season, it's it's jam-packed. I mean, it's gonna yeah. we're hitting record number of events. Um, and by the way, I know we focus a lot on the top 20 or and all this stuff, but like imagine if you're in the 300s, 400s, uh, you know, or that's. You want your movements to reflect that, right? No, so I, I you have a Gina Kennedy kind of playing every, you know, when she was 180, she wasn't 180 um, and, and took a while yeah. to like get out no, of that. No, very fair point. And from the, from the fans' point of view, the, the, the biggest thing from my point of view is there'd be no more of, hey, Paul Call wins a tournament in on February 3rd. And so we know because he wins this quarterfinal match that he's going to be number one in March. March, yeah, and so he yeah. could, he could get run he could get run over by a bus on February fifteenth, but he's going to be number one in March, and we all know yeah. that. So that always kind of to me that ruins a little ruins a little bit. So having it come out every week, coming out weekly, uh, makes it a little more compelling uh, for me for me anyways. Um, so so let's talk about the upcoming season uh, while we finish up here. Uh, the biggest thing that jumps out to me is as you mentioned it earlier, PJ is the uh, the schedule. Holy shit. Um, so, so, I mean, these guys coming off guitar now, some of them are, in, a few of them are in France. Some of the, a few of the folks from Houston are in France playing, playing Nantes, 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 however you, Nantes, which looks like a cool tournament. Granted, it gets more publicity for some tournament that doesn't have any top 10 players in it, uh, than any tournament ever, but that yeah. seems, seems like it's cool, I guess. Um, uh, but also now we have the Egyptian open coming up, uh, on the 25th net suite on the 30th. Uh, as soon as that ends, we switch over to Philadelphia starting on the 8th. And then right after that ends, um, Switzerland for the grasshopper. I mean, that is the, the uh, in some of the Ubers I was taking back and forth from Houston, listening to some of the uh, women talk about their travel schedule coming up was absolutely it made me it made them seem like they were Connor. They move so much. They move more than <laughs> Connor. So that, that's a lot. I mean, I'm, all joking aside, I mean, this this woman, I won't mention her name because she probably doesn't want to know. She was going from Houston to a wedding to Nantes, to Egypt, to San Francisco. Wow. I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. How, yeah. I, I think that the players will soon start to be a little bit more calculated with their, the blocking of their events, the, the scheduling of their tournaments, because some of those geographically just don't make any sense. Yeah. So I, I think that could be to the detriment I suppose it's a double-edged sword. It's going to be to the detriment of some of the organisers that want to put these events on. They may not get the full draws, but then it's other opportunities for the upcoming players to go and the ones that are willing to put the, the time in with the travel to go and get some valuable points and climb up those rankings. So there's, I see there are a lot of pros and cons to both to both scenarios, but it will take a lot of... Because generally you see all the best players in all the best tournaments, but I feel that some players now are going to have to be a bit more strategic with what they pick and choose. Just be, classic case, Paul Cole this year. He's you know he's played in all the major events, done very well in the major events. He's had uh, the Commonwealth Games where he won the gold in the doubles and he won a gold in the men's individuals. He's gone out to Qatar and he's had a, a result that he wouldn't be particularly happy with. Also lost to Elias in Mauritius. So he's had a couple of tournament um, losses there that may not have had if his schedule had been slightly different. So he'll have to be a bit more kind of calculated about it. We'll, we'll go ahead, Bill, because I was going to talk more about the, the structure. 
Uh, oh, sure. So my, my only thought was looking at the PGA Tour and the ATP Tour and the women's, uh, the WTA Tour, they really make it a point to keep people in certain geographic regions for a certain period of time. So you tr you play the American swing, as it, if it, as it were. And even in the PGA, they do it so much as like they have the California swing, the Texas swing, the Florida swing. Then they head up to the Northeast. I mean, for a tour where the players do not make a ton of money, the travel seems like it's little. I, I don't know if well, nonsensical is the right word, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's a little weird. much. This is where I'll jump in then, because that, that's what I was going to touch on. It's like, this is a good problem to be having. Like, we can't have it both ways of saying, oh, we want more events. We want all this stuff. And it's like the, the, the challenge is, um, so a big restructuring is already in the works. And when do you do that? It's like, well, you can't do it this season. So it's like earliest would be the following season. But there needs to be, um, you know, a reshifting all around. And, and and yeah, in an ideal world, Bill, it's it's getting to that kind of like, Hey, we have the swings where it's going there, but you know, this is where you can't say no to a promoter right now. We haven't been in a position where you can say no, if they're going to put on a prize money event, um, but we're starting to get there or starting to say like, well, for the future seasons, this is where you're actually going to fall into. So can we break news here, Connor, or is this, and we could, we could cut this off if it's not, not public yet. Um, talking to people down in Houston, I was told this is the scenario for next year for majors, if you will. Platinum will be the next level. Every platinum needs to be men and women together. Every gold needs to be men and women together. Is that true, or is that something I, that hasn't been announced yet? Or yeah, I, I well, so nothing has been decided yet. I think everything is on the table, and I do think that we've given the test run of like, hey, how does eight to ten major events, you know, kind of do the golf approach, like the majors? And I don't think that's achieved the success that we want. So looking at it, well, how do you even create a higher tier? Um, I, I think that is likely a direction, but no decisions have been made. Um, always having to do an event, men's and women's, I know that that likely at the top level, that's, um, you know, again, it's all going to come down to tiers, but no, not every event will have to have men's and women's because there's sometimes great times when it makes sense to have I, I, every platinum event. I, I don't, I don't know. I think there's an aspirational goal. Of course we want that. And then there's, it kind of depends, but uh, is there any truth to what I said at all, or is that somebody who's just telling me something they heard us thin errors? What I just what I just mentioned is that being bandied about. Um, it, I, I, I mean, without getting specifics, I, I don't. What did you What did you say again? The... <laughs> I'm glad you're listening. Um, no, but it's like uh, it's kind of ridiculous. For, like, so twenty two. I heard for the twenty two twenty three season. So if you go up I mean, to the, the 20... top, it's always going to be men's and women's, right? Like right. No, no. But I'm saying there's going to be just four major major championships. Then the next level would be platinum, and the next level would be gold. And when it comes to those, they all are going to be men and women together. They have to be to to host them. You have to host men and women together. Is gold that true to be or no? men and women. Uh huh. I mean, we always as a core pillar. There's you want parity, and you want to be able to put both on. What? I don't know. What's... What's the deal with the four majors? Similar to tennis and similar to golf, right? You're talking about well, the grand, grand slams and the, and the... Well, golf is more of the tour stops. Like, they do, like, 10 or 12 major events, right? And they're able to pull them off. So that's where I'd say the PSA has been most recently. Um, that's a lot of events, and it's not getting quite the breakthrough that we want into the, the market. So then you look at the other options. It's like, well, let's do fewer events at a higher level. So that's a, a direction that is being explored again none of this has been decided on so okay so are, are, are you saying are you saying my my uh the, the four major events is not something that's set in stone for 2023-24 no. not at all okay all right i was told it was so i'm just i'm going going uh just trying to um cooperate that all right. well okay. tbd tbd there you go
Well, speaking right. of TBD, it was good being back together. I'm not, I'm not sure we accomplished anything here, but if nothing else, well, I we did, recorded. We did record, so our, um, we're trying to catch up with with Barry Gibbs and Sean, the new kid on the block, Sean Choi. Am I pronouncing his name right? Yeah. I, I'm purposely hoping I am because he has been doing a great job. He, um, yeah. um, softball question, a lot of softball questions to his guests. We don't have guests, so we can't lob softball questions. So, um, Sean, uh, if you're listening out there, don't be afraid to ask a tough question every now and then. But otherwise, I love your podcast; it's really good. All right, all right, guys. Uh, nice talking to you, PJ. Great to see you again. Welcome good back to, to see the you, country. Boys. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a long fall, PJ. Um, get your golf clubs ready. All right, boys. Uh, we we need to play. So I'm looking forward to it, mate. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.